Daniel chapter 9, and we'll read from verse 23 down to verse number 27. Daniel chapter 9, reading at verse 23. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for the iniquity or for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. That's our reading, and we trust the Lord will give help and bless our consideration of it this evening. Sir Isaac Newton said this of this passage of scripture, that we could stake the truth of Christianity on this prophecy alone, which was made five centuries before Christ. Some authors say it is the most exact, marvellous and amazing prophecy in all of the Bible. Now let me just fill some of the background in just to bring us up to speed. It's been a month since we've been here at the Bible class, so... We understand this, that Daniel is in captivity originally, although he's made his life in Babylon. And he's made his life in Babylon under successive regimes. He's been there for a long time. And the result of him being in Babylon, or I should say the reason for him being in Babylon, came about when the nation of Israel, which had been divided into two nations, the northern and the southern kingdoms, ten tribes and two tribes, And these two nations took, well, similar paths away from God, albeit a different temple. And so the smaller nation lasted longer than the larger nation. And the ten tribes was taken away into captivity by the Assyrian Empire, first of all. And then uh, Judah was taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. And that happened over a series of three deportations. So the whole nation, the whole population was not decanted to, to, to Babylon. It wasn't a complete ethnic cleansing. But rather, they took the cream of the crop, if you like, from the nation, and then they worked their way down. And they did that over three cycles. And so Nebuchadnezzar's army came, round about 605, 606 BC, and you have Daniel, Mishael, Hananiah, Azariah, And they're all taken into captivity as young men. Babylon at that time was the first, according to biblical prophecy, of 
four great Gentile world empires that would have a direct relationship and impact upon the timeline of Israel and God's dealings with the nation of Israel. There were and are other empires, but these ones feature in Scripture because of their impact and relationship to Israel particularly. Which is why when you read it, you wonder, well, what about these other empires that exist in history? Well, it's not that they didn't exist. It's just that in terms of God's dealings, particularly with Israel, they don't have the same relevance as these four do. So you have Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome. Now, when you come to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is what we might call the prime minister. Babylon as an empire has been overthrown and defeated by this time and for one year approximately the Medes and the Persians have been in power. That was an unequal balance between the Medes and the Persians but nonetheless it still remained a kind of um, joint venture if you like and they are in power. Darius is the king. Now that's the same as Cyrus. Darius is a title rather than a name. And so Darius is the king. He is the emperor at this time. And by Daniel chapter 9, Israel has been in captivity for approximately 70 years. During that time, Daniel has discovered and read the writings of Jeremiah. We know that to be true. He refers to it. And as a consequence of what he read, he's been praying in Daniel chapter 9 in the first part of the chapter. And that's what we dealt with a month ago. His prayer is one of deep repentance. His prayer is one of heartfelt confession on behalf of the nation of Israel, on behalf of his people. He identifies with the people and he speaks to God on behalf of the people because of what he read in Jeremiah and as he reflects upon the poor spiritual state of the people of God. And so he is referring back to things like Jeremiah 25 and 29 where Jeremiah reveals that this particular exile, which was prophesied before it took place, would last for 70 years. So Daniel reads this and he takes it literally. And he takes it as predictive prophecy, which is that God says something which predicts that something else is going to take place and he takes it literally. And he is distressed by what he reads. He fulfills Deuteronomy chapter 4 and chapter 28, which teaches, particularly in Deuteronomy 4, verse 25 to 31, that Israel would sin, be scattered from the land, seek God and return to the Lord. That pattern would would develop and he's putting this into practice. Now his problem was this. He wasn't sure when the 70 years began. He knows that after 70 years, the exile is going to finish, but he doesn't know when that's going to take place because he's not sure when it began. Remember, there was three series of deportations. And so as a consequence, he's before the Lord, as we saw last time in prayer, as he seeks to understand when this is going to happen, how it's going to happen, and so on. Now, Daniel's already been in the business of prophecies in chapter 2 and chapter 7. And in chapter 2 and chapter 7, you discover this, that Daniel has had revealed to him this great prophetic purpose of God with these Gentile nations in two different ways. So in chapter 2, you've got a broad outline of Gentile history 
as it connects to the nation of Israel, God's people. And four great empires, as I mentioned, to be succeeded by a fifth and the greatest of all empires is laid bare in chapter 2, which is the kingdom of the Most High God and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you come to chapter 7 and you've got the same information delivered in a different format, the same basic truth delivered in a different way, but there's an added element. And the added element in chapter 7 is the element of the Antichrist, he who is opposed to Christ and he who is opposite to Christ in every way, Satan's man who will feature in a coming day here upon earth. He's introduced into this prophetic program and how he would rule over the final form of the final phase of Gentile world power. Now Nebuchadnezzar saw this vision and he saw it from man's perspective. So when he's looking at that, which represents the glory of the Gentile nations, he sees an impressive man. A statue of gold, silver, brass and iron. What Daniel sees is very different. It's hideous. It's unnatural. He sees it from God's perspective. Ravenous animals. It's like monsters rather than animals. And it is this, that in chapter 2, this is what man sees when we look at Gentile world power. We see that which is impressive, we see that which is valuable, we see that which is substantive. When God looks at it, he sees that which is corrupt and cruel. And that's represented in these different perspectives of the same thing. Now we come to this section. From chapter 7, verse 28 on, the focus turns away from the Gentiles back towards the people of God for the rest of the book. Now, this is the famous 70-week prophecy of Daniel. Most books that you would read about prophecy in the Bible will feature this chapter somewhere in the book. It's critical. So let me give you a general summary of what these verses are telling us. What was revealed to Daniel? First of all, notice in verse 24 some of the particulars. Notice first of all what it says. Seventy weeks are determined upon who and upon where. That's the question. Both of which are answered in the verse. Seventy weeks are determined. This is written, remember, to, said to Daniel, sorry. <laughs> Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. That's Israel. And upon thy holy city. That's Jerusalem. So the focal point of this 70-week prophecy is upon Israel and Jerusalem. That's the focal point of it, the, the fulcrum of it, if you like. Now, two princes are mentioned in the passage, two who will be the key figures in this prophecy. Notice in verse 25 that we're introduced to Messiah the Prince. And then in verse 26, we are introduced to the prince that shall come. The people of the prince that shall come. So there are two individuals and they're different. Messiah the prince and the prince that shall come. One is Christ, one is Antichrist. Now the time period involved in this prophecy is described in this way. 
as 70 weeks divided into three sections. The first section, seven weeks. The second section, 62 weeks. And the third section, one week. 70 weeks, three sections, seven, 62, and then one. It is to do with Israel, it is to do with Jerusalem, two key actors, if you like, in the prophecy, Messiah the Prince and the Prince that shall come. This is what it's all about. So however you uh, read and understand this, don't lose these key elements. Anchor yourself in these elements and you won't go far wrong. So any interpretation that strays away from these elements is not being interpreted correctly here. Now we're also told in verse 25 that this time period of 70 weeks begins at the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So it is the case that whenever that commandment was given, this time period started. Now there's some debate as to when that is. Precisely. But we know that when that took place, this started. The clock started. And the precision of the prophecy is determined by where you start the clock. That's how it's going to run. 70 weeks. But notice also, we have the end of that time period. So it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Prince, Messiah, the Prince. So the time period ends when Messiah the Prince is revealed. When he comes on the world stage, that's when the time period ends. So what you have here revealed to Daniel is a prophecy that's precise. A prophecy that has to do with two individuals, a nation and a city. There's a time period which is defined both in its commencement and in its ending. It is no wonder this is described as such an exact declaration by God of his dealings with that nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. It's precision. And you can test it. If God keeps his word in relation to this, God can be trusted. If God doesn't keep his word in relation to this, he can't be trusted. You can base and you can lay this as a foundation for the veracity of Scripture. So let's look at it and see what this actually is teaching us. What was Daniel learning? Well, let's start at verse number 24. So the revelation is given um, by an angelic being, and the revelation is this, as Gabriel speaks to Daniel, he says 70 weeks are determined. Now that word determined means to cut off something, to isolate something. So God is saying, I am isolating, I am cutting out, if you like, of the whole of history, 70 weeks. And this is what's going to happen in that 70 weeks. God has taken that period of 70 weeks and he's cut it off from the rest of history. It's a period geared to the deliverance of Israel in a coming day. So he mentions, as I've already pointed out, 
70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy city. Now Daniel's been praying for the people and he's also been praying for the city at the beginning of the chapter. This prophecy has to do with both these things, the people, Israel and Jerusalem. Now there is a six-fold purpose of the prophecy. So the, the, um, the, the revelation through Gabriel is this. There are six outcomes that this 70-week period of God's dealings will accomplish. Six outcomes. This is what God will do in this 70-week period. It's not just so that God is saying, look, I'm going to do this. Watch this. I'm going to do this. We're going to tell you about it beforehand. Isn't that impressive? God has redemptive divine purposes in acting towards his people and the city in this way. He wants to accomplish things. He wants outcomes. And there are six of them. These six are stated there in verse number 24. So notice them. Number one, to finish the transgression. Now transgression referred to here, I judge, is principally rebellion of Israel against God. Their transgression, which is that which concerns God so much about his people. And that was the reason for the captivity. That was the reason for the exile. That would be the reason for the desolation of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple in the first place. The transgression of his own people is going to come to an end as a consequence of these 70 weeks. Secondly, to make an end of sins, plural. Now, some think it means to end. Some think it means to seal up. Whenever you get that expression, um, to seal up, every time that root word is used, it speaks of divine judgment in the Bible. And it would appear that God is going to, in judgment, deal with specific sins as well as transgression as a principle. God's going to wipe out not only sin, but sins. There's a finality in that thought. And this is going to be what these 70 weeks accomplish. Thirdly, to make reconciliation for iniquity. This is the idea of atonement. This is the idea of God dealing with sin and sins by atonement. And he's going to cover over the sins of his people by atonement. Fourthly, to bring in everlasting righteousness against a plural word. It's the righteousness of the ages. The permanent righteousness, which is so characteristic of God, is going to be brought in as a consequence of what God will do in these 70 weeks. Fifthly, to seal up the vision and prophecy, there will be no more. There will be an end of prophecies. God will finish the job. Lastly, to anoint the most holy, or holy of holies, or am most holy. I think this is the establishment of the temple and the kingdom, and Ezekiel 40 to 48, the restored temple of the millennial kingdom here, is going to be established as a consequence of these 70 weeks. That's a lot. That's a big thing. That's what God's going to do. And listen, God is going to do that. This is not theory. This is predictive prophecy. This is us being told through Daniel what is going to happen in this world. 
God's purposes are seen. These are the outcomes that he will do. This is the period of time. This is the focal point of his actions. These are the two great individuals who will be part of this 70-week period. But the end result is already determined. Now, we live in a world today that is symbolically chaotic. It doesn't matter who you speak to or what you speak about. You end up talking about things that have changed so much. The instability of the economies of the world. Peace, which is so fragile now and which has been lost in so many places. People are anxious. There is something going on at the moment in the world whereby there's an instability globally in our world. There's a move of power, a shift that's going on at the present time. It's not stable at all. But as Christians, we look to this and we understand that God has already told us his purposes. He's already told us how he will accomplish it, when he will accomplish it, and why he's going to accomplish it. It's all set out in Scripture. And that's what we rest upon as the people of God. He's in control. Man cannot operate out with divine revelation. So as we look at this, we understand that this is the future we're reading about. This is it. People don't know what's going to happen. You know, like, people talk about the uncertainty of the future and you know, who knows what society is going to be like, who knows what the world is going to be, what kind of world will it be, etc., etc., etc. But as Christians, we look to the future based upon scriptures like this with absolute confidence. We know what God's going to accomplish here upon earth. The world's not going to become a better place in the short term. It's going to become a much worse place in the short term as God accomplishes his purposes. So, 70 weeks. Okay, so what does this mean? Now, the word in Hebrew does not mean week as we use the word week, as in like seven days. It doesn't mean that. It means seven. Now, um, it is used often in Hebrew in the same way that we would use for the number 12, we use a word dozen, or for six, half a dozen. So we've got another way of expressing that, a dozen. And that could be a dozen anything. So this is the idea in the Hebrew, and it just means, 70 weeks here means 70 sevens. 70 sevens. And the context determines the meaning of that seven. 70 sevens. Now this was a, this was a well-known concept to the Jewish mind. For example, the, the concept of this weeks or this sevens was kind of right at the heart of their law and of their sacrificial system. So, for example, the Sabbath rest of the land was to occur every seven years. Um, after seven weeks of seven years, the 49th year, the Jubilee year would take place. And so part of their calendar was all built upon this seven-block period. So they were familiar with that idea of counting years in that way in the Old Testament. Now, Daniel in this section is revealing to us principally in this period of time three events that will take place so we're talking a period of 490 years now he's going to get very precise here so follow the math which is not my strong point so hopefully I get the numbers right 490 years now he will speak about the rebuilding of Israel of Jerusalem excuse me in verse 25 
during the first seven weeks, which is the first 49 years. Now, don't get lost with this. So, first 49 years, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Then you've got the coming and death of Messiah in verse 26, during the seven and 62 weeks, or 69 weeks, or 483 years. So you've got the first main thing, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the first 49 years it takes place. Then, during the period of right up to 69 weeks, so you've got two and then 62, which is a total of 483 years, the coming and death of Messiah. Building up to and happening during that period of time. Then, you have the persecution by Antichrist, the prince of the people, and his defeat in verse 27, and that's in the 70th week, the last week. These are the three principal things happening in each of these period of times. Now, I know this is a lot of information. So how long is a year? Well, the Bible tells us how long a year is. So we can be precise in our calculations. So if you're talking about 483 years... If you're talking about 490 years, how long is a year? So you can trace it right back to a day. Well, you can. A year is 360 days in the Bible, always. From the beginning to the end. Just notice this. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, it says the flood began on the 17th day of the second month. And that flood came to an end on the 17th day of the seventh month. A five-month flood. And in Genesis 7, verse 24, and chapter 8 and verse 3, we're told that the flood lasted for 150 days. So you have 30-day months. When you go to Revelation chapter 13, last book in the Bible, the tribulation period is said to last 42 months. Revelation 12, verse 6, says the tribulation will last 1,260 days. 42 months equals 1,260 days, so that's months of 30 days again. So from Genesis to Revelation, it's counted the same way in the Bible. We have periods, therefore, of 30-day months in Scripture. So if you take that, we have a period of 70 times 7 years here. 490 years of 360 days. Work that out yourself. That's the time period we're talking about. So when did that time period begin? When this period began was the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Now scholars disagree as to the exact date of that. has to be said. You can um, read some, and they, they kind of disagree over time. So um, some, um, so Rob Anderson, for example, was very precise, and then some, some history, historical archaeology came out that maybe disproved some of the things of his assumptions, and he became, well, it, his work became less certain. However, there are a few possibilities. It could be Cyrus's decree to restore and build Jerusalem, 538 BC. That's found in Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. However, that only concerns the rebuilding of the temple. So probably not. 
Then it could be Darius's decree, 519 BC, find that in Ezra 6 verse 1. But that only confirmed Cyrus's earlier decree, which was the rebuilding of the temple. Artaxerxes' decree of 457 BC from Ezra 7 verse 11 concerned the temple and appointing judges, which possibly could have allowed some rebuilding work. But likely, most scholars I read said that Artaxerxes' decree in 445 BC, which is recorded in Nehemiah chapter 2, includes rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and the walls and the gates. And I think that is the only one that fulfills the streets and the walls requirement. So I think it's probably that one. But again, scholars disagree. It's not the main point. It's not the idea to nail it down to one particular day in a calendar that we're not even sure as to the structure of the calendar. It's just this, that although we perhaps can't be precise as to the exact day, God was precise when he declared when it starts. And it's not me that's keeping the calendar, it's God that's keeping the calendar. And so he knows when it started, he said when it started, so he knows when it's going to finish. Precisely. So the first seven weeks, 49 year period, started way back in history. At one of these decrees, so you're way back to 500 BC or 440 BC. You're way back before Christ came. And the, the, the clock started to run in this 70 week period. And the first part of it, the first seven weeks, you remember, the first 49 years of 360 days ran during the period of Nehemiah. So you're reading the book of Nehemiah, you're in that period of God's prophetic calendar. The first seven-week period, that's the period you're reading about, in the days of Nehemiah. Remember this, they had a lot of trouble building the city, and that's what it said in verse 25. Know therefore, understand, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, and so forth. But it says at the end of the verse, the streets shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. You read into Nehemiah, the street, that's the public square, the marketplace that's inside the city. The wall is the moat or the ditch or the external fortification that's outside the city. And both were completely restored in that 49-year period. Complete restoration. The city was finally complete. The Old Testament canon, by the way, was also complete in that time period. And God establishes his people in their land, his city, the temple, his word. It's all there. And we look back historically, we can verify it. God said it would happen. It did happen. Precisely. It happened. It's provable. And from there, till the coming of John Baptist, there was no prophet. God had affirmed his people, his city, his word. No need to say another thing. So then you have the next period, which is the 62 weeks. So you have a further 62 weeks of 434 years. I actually noted it down here, so I must have read it somewhere. Gives you a total of, wait for this, if you like numbers, 69 weeks, 483 years, 173,880 days, if you like that kind of thing. Unto the Messiah, the Prince. 
This is a very kingly expression. Not the birth of Christ in view here, but the presentation of Christ to the nation of Israel as Messiah the Prince. Most people would identify that with the coming of the Lord Jesus into the city prior to his suffering, when he was presented very symbolically as their king, as their Messiah. Hosanna, hail the king, here he comes, and so forth, fulfilling these Old Testament scriptures. But it says, in, uh, unto the Messiah the Prince, in verse number 25, um, know therefore and understand, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks, six to nine weeks, the streets shall be built again, and so on, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. That's what happened. He came. He was manifested to the nation as Messiah. And they crucified him. He was cut off. That word, expression to be cut off, means to kill. It's used at least three places in the Old Testament. Leviticus 7, verse 20, Proverbs 2, 22, and Psalm 37, and verse 9. And it speaks of the execution of a person who has been given the death penalty for a crime. To be cut off. Messiah will die as a criminal and the language speaks of it here long before it ever happened. 69 weeks from when the clock started ticking until the Lord rides into Jerusalem as Messiah the Prince and is cut off and executed as a common criminal. Sir Robert Anderson actually traces, according to his calculation, it to the very day, according to the calendars of those ages, the very day when the Lord Jesus came into the city. I don't know if that's an accurate calculation or not, but that's certainly the, the outcome of his work into this. But notice this, it says this, at the end, sorry, at the beginning of verse 26, he shall be cut off, but not for himself. Now that's the authorised translation. ESV says, and shall have nothing. He did not gain what was rightfully his in that moment. That would need to wait until the end of the 70th week. He's cut off. And the people of the prince that shall come were now introduced to another person. <coughs> the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Now we're introduced to Antichrist. We've already met him in chapter 7 and verse 8. The little horn in chapter 8, the king of fierce countenance. He's going to come and he's going to destroy the city Jerusalem. And he's going to seek to destroy the people of God. The end of it shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Constant desolation right unto the end of conflict. Now he's speaking about horrific times. Horrific times. Now that did happen just after the Lord Jesus was crucified. If you read some of the history, you discover this, that General Titus Flavius Vespasian, Titus as he's commonly known, um, came and wreaked absolute havoc. If you read some of the history surrounding him, he's an interesting character. After Nero died, we've all heard of Nero, the burning of Rome. If you've not, you should read about it. 
uh, the history of it. Um, there were three insignificant emperors that followed him, and Titus, who had been a general, was now an emperor. And Titus left Israel in the hands of his son, who was also called Titus. And I read this, before the full moon in the spring of 70 AD, Titus appeared with his troops outside the city of Jerusalem, and there had been a rebellion against Roman rule at that time. He had around 100,000 soldiers, plus. The population of Jerusalem, they reckon, was probably about 200,000 at that time. They built a huge mound around the city so that no one could get out and nothing could get in. They besieged the city. In one night, over 2,000 people died of hunger within the city in one night. The city eventually was taken and torched. And by August of 70 AD, Roman soldiers erected their banners in the sacred places of Judaism and began to sacrifice to their idols. It was a precursor for something even more terrible that would happen in a future day. And so Satan's man, the Antichrist, will feature in this 70th week. So we're introduced to this one-week period in verse 27. So in this one-week period, we are, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, seven years. This is what other scriptures speak about as the tribulation period. The tribulation, the first three and a half years, and the great tribulation, the second three and a half years. It is a period of seven years yet to happen in world history. We know about it. Now, it's not in this section, but it is true that the New Testament teaches that although we know about it, we will not experience it because we won't be here. That before the wrath of God falls upon the earth, at the beginning of the tribulation period, we will be raptured home to glory. The Bible says, saved from wrath through him. And wrath speaks of divine anger expressed upon earth rather than eternal punishment. We'll be gone. Praise God for it. Because you read in the book of Revelation, book of Zechariah, what exactly is going to take place in this seven-year period is absolutely horrific. The last part of it particularly focused upon Israel and Jerusalem. The time of Jacob's trouble at school. Matthew 24, Matthew 25 speaks of it as the, the beginning of sorrows, the birth pangs. And how often I've said this, I don't know, but you know, the whole idea of birth pangs is this, and some of you have experienced them, is that it begins fairly slow and gets faster. It also begins painfully and gets more painful. And so they increase with frequency and intensity until the moment of release and joy. When the child is born, and so this is a picture of this week which is going to begin with God pouring out his judgment upon earth. You read about that revelation which is that one week period of tribulation, that seven year period of tribulation viewed from the divine perspective in the book of Revelation. Viewed from the human perspective in Matthew 24 and 25. And so you see all what's going on in earth in Matthew's gospel but you see it all from the perspective of heaven because that's where John's been taken in to see the vision. And so he's looking down as if it were. 
So you see these things as a, a, a threefold cycle of the, you know, the blowing of trumpets, the, the, the pouring out of, of the, the bowls and so on. Uh, and it's this cyclical, increasingly severe and rapid series of divine judgments fall upon the earth. Devastation. God is doing this. What's he doing? Well, he has dealt with men and women in so many ways. Innocence in the Garden of Eden. Men chose to sin. The patriarchal system, where it was families and important men at the heads of families and all the rest of it, and they sinned. Uh, and so he chose a nation to represent him upon earth, to disseminate his word and to, to bring the nations to him, Israel, a special people for God. And he gave them a law uh, and they sinned. And so he gave them judges and they sinned. And then they gave him his son and they sinned. And now, they're, now he's giving them the gospel and the world is still sinning. And he showed love and he showed grace and he showed law and he showed innocence. And he's done all of these things. But what he hasn't done yet is directly poured out wrath upon earth. Like he will do in that coming day. Yes, there's been the flood, but this sustained period of intense and increasingly intense wrath to bring the world to its knees before him and what do they do they sin god will try everything to reach out to humanity and during the millennial reign what's the last thing that he can show them is the closest thing to a sinful earth will ever experience to bliss and nirvana. The direct rule of Messiah upon earth where righteousness reigns and there's an abundance of peace. And at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, what happens? Men sin. There's nothing can be done with the flesh and with the heart of man. Nothing can be done apart from redemption or judgment. That's God's purpose. And as part of that, you have this pouring out of divine wrath during this seven-year period. And so Antichrist is at the very centre of it all. And it's not really the purpose of Daniel's prophecy to reveal the detail of what happens during this period of time. You need to go to the book of Revelation to get that. But nonetheless, broadly speaking, it says this, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Antichrist comes onto the world stage, and he has a revelation according to 2 Thessalonians 2, just like the Lord Jesus will have a revelation in a coming day, when he will appear, and every eye shall see him. Satan said, look, before that happens, I've got a man, and he's going to appear. He's going to also have a fake resurrection, just like Christ, the real resurrection. And he's going to be able to do fake miracles, just like Christ did genuine miracles. He's anti Christ and the whole world will go after him. And he'll confirm a covenant with Israel for three and a half years and then he'll break it. When does he break it? There's that fake resurrection. He breaks it when he puts himself in the holiest of all in a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and demands to be worshipped 
as God himself. He gets rid of all world religion and creates a religion of himself. And he has the false prophet preaching it. He is the Antichrist. He's to be worshipped. That's the 666 thing, that if you don't worship him, you can't trade and all the rest of it. And it happens halfway through the seven-year period and runs for the last three and a half years. And he turns on the nation of Israel. And he almost destroys them. The Lord shelters some of them under divine protection in the wilderness. That's when you've got the whole two witnesses thing that you read of in Revelation. And they're preaching. You've got the angel with everlasting gospel circling there. And that's being preached. And you've got 144,000 witnesses also bearing testimony during that period of time. But for Israel, it's going to be absolutely horrific. And the Holocaust of the 20th century will be surpassed and surpassed and surpassed again by the holocaust of that great tribulation. In fact, the Lord says in Matthew 25 that 24, sorry, these days were not short and no flesh should be saved. If there wasn't an end point that the Lord determined, they'd be gone. And Satan musters his arm. It's fascinating to read it. Oh, the Armageddon thing, and you read all about this. And what he does is this. He gathers the armies of the world against Israel. You see, the Jew is the greatest. You know, the Jew's been the enemy throughout the whole of history. Anti-Semitic sentiment is never far from the surface in the world. And he will bring it to a peak again. And he will bring the nations and the armies of the nation and he will encircle Jerusalem and just as he's about to mount that final assault, the 70 weeks are up. It's like a ding. 70 weeks. Come and gone. And the very moment that period finishes, according to God's time, you and I move from where we've been for seven years in heaven as the armies of the Lord and others we are mobilised and Messiah comes and he appears Zechariah, read the end of Zechariah and he descends and every eye shall see him Isaiah 53, the remnant of Israel that's just about extinguished, look and they see him and it dawns in them, that's the one we crucified. And they mourn for him in repentance as the remnant that's left. Look and they see, and they say he was wounded for our transgressions. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But look, he's our Messiah. We got it wrong. It's a great repentance song of Isaiah. And that's the moment that it will be sung. When he comes, and Zechariah, he will land literally in the Mount of Olives. You can go to the very place on earth where the feet of Christ will touch in that 70th week, in that coming day, and he'll split it in two. I could go on and on. It's so thrilling, you know, when you... And that's the valley of decision. And it's to do with the judgment of the living nations at that time and all the rest of it that's going to take place. That's God's decision, not man's decision. You shouldn't really preach that in the gospel. It's not what it's about. But this idea is just that at that point in time, 
the Lord's coming. In the full manifestation of his glory. The glory's appearing. And that appearing by itself will destroy the armies of Antichrist. And he will be taken. And he will be taken along with all the angels and reserved and all the rest of it. And he will be subject to divine judgment. The final desolation, the consummation, the complete destruction upon the one who makes desolate. I don't know what you think about that, but you know, when you allow your mind to run to that, it's quite amazing. And we've just scratched the surface of what scripture reveals about what's actually going to take place. When you read into, I remember the first time I did a study in Revelation was at this Bible class a long time ago. And we went through it verse by verse, right through the Revelation. And it was thrilling to see the whole jigsaw of divine purpose and redemption fall into place piece by piece. When God reveals himself in the totality of his character as a God of justice and judgment, a God of awesome wrath, and a God of unbounded mercy and grace. And as you see God's purposes being worked out, and then you see what happens in that seven-year period, utterly horrific. And then you see the manifestation of Christ, the preservation of his people, the fulfilment of his promises to Abraham and his covenant as a kingdom is established and they're part of it and we're part of it. And then you see that final uh, rebellion at the end of the thousand years and then the eternal day and the new heaven and the new earth. And then we're in Jackson's ministry um, from First Peter and then into Second Peter as well, William Lewis, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's all going to happen. And Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden... And all of the world's leaders today, with all of their power, are all operating within the framework of divine purpose. They don't know it, but they are. And they cannot step one foot beyond it. So whatever we look at in the world today, know this. All of what is happening has to fit into what God has said. And does. We know the big picture. And we're glad as Christians to look at this and understand that what Daniel has revealed already has taken place and the wee bit, the one week that's yet to take place is still outstanding. And although Daniel didn't know it, the whole period of the church age lies between the 69th and the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. Not revealed in Old Testament context, but revealed in the New Testament. And what a blessing to be part of that and know that one week. Now, I know that's a lot of information, but maybe a wee bit of information overload, but I trust that might at least whet your appetite for what these prophecies reveal to us of divine purpose. Let's just pray.